Okay, good morning. Uh, so I'm Thomas Abraham James. I'm the uh, CEO of Longland Resources, which is a wholly owned subsidiary of Conoco Limited in Australia. And uh, I'm joined today by Dr. David Holwell. Uh, so he's uh, an advisor to the company, has been with us since the very beginning when Longland first started, and uh, is an expert in magmatic sulfides, nickel and copper sulfide deposits, uh, having worked in this industry for over 20 years. Um, great. And could you give a quick overview of, um, uh, and just say, uh, Conoco is or Longland is? Uh, so Conoco is uh, an exploration company. So we're listed in Australia. Uh, we have two key projects uh, in Greenland. So the one I'll be talking about mostly today is the Ryberg project, which is uh, Greenfields exploration, opening up a new frontier. And uh, then we have the Mestersvig project uh, further to the north, which contains the historic Bleaklip and lead zinc mine and the, the surrounding geology. And also, actually, we have a project in Australia as well, which is the Mount Thirsty uh, Nickel Cobalt Laterite project. Thomas, thank you for the introduction. Uh, Thomas and Dave, really nice to have you both uh, on, the, on the interview today. Um, <clears throat> I'm, I've never worked in Greenland. Uh, I have worked in many parts of the world, but never in Greenland. Um, could you... Um, perhaps kind of give me a kind of a, a rationale for being there because from what I know it's, 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 it's quite cold and it's quite far away so there has to be a good reason to want to get there. Yes I think well, what we did is that uh, with it, uh, David and I we've been working in Greenland prior to uh, forming this company uh, so that was with another explorer and so we were very fortunate that, uh, to work there but then also to get to this part of the east coast of Greenland which is very underexplored compared to the rest of the country and uh, it was really from regional exploration some visual observations of the, uh, the mineralization the potential of this area that gave us the impetus um, what I might do is I might hand across to, uh, to David so I can give the, the, the broader context of what it is that we're looking for and the reason for this location. Yeah, so um, this part of East Greenland, as Tom said, is pretty underexplored. I mean, one of the reasons for that is because it's so remote. There are no permanent settlements for several hundred kilometres in each direction. But geologically, uh, it's quite an exciting area. You were just mentioning the... Um, the, the Eastern Greenland is uninhabited and it's significantly underexplored. Could you just kind of kick off from the, from there? Yeah. Okay. okay. So this part of East Greenland is um, uh, fairly underexplored. Um, part of the reason for that is that it, it's so remote. There is no permanent settlements for a few hundred kilometers in each direction along the coast. But geologically, um, the area around the Ryberg license is was the focus of significant magmatic activity uh, and volcanism um, in a period of time around 55 million years ago, which emplaced a lot of intrusions, which are prospective for copper, nickel, cobalt, PGE deposits. Um, so there are a few known, a few that um, uh, are being explored, and there is significant potential uh, for more discoveries there. Um, so, Sorry, Dave, just just a quick question. You talk about those those intrusions in Greenland. Are there analogies in um, continental um, land masses that are explored and known and, and proven as kind of economic deposits? Absolutely. So the, these sorts of uh, intrusions are, are uh, what we refer to as may, layered mafic intrusions. Um, the, mo the, fa the most famous one would be the Bushveld complex in South Africa, which... But that's not, that doesn't date back to 55 million years ago, you know, that's... No, that, no, uh, no, no, I mean, no, that, 
that that's much older, but it, it's formed in a in a very similar similar manner. And these these sorts of intrusions are formed throughout geological time. Another good um, analogy for this part of, of East Greenland would be the Mid-Continent Rift um, in the Lake Superior area, where there are intrusions like the Duluth Complex and yeah. um, nickel sulfide deposits like Eagle, Tamarack, Thunder Bay, uh, places like that. Um, so this is one of the youngest provinces uh, of, of such intrusions and, and prospectivity. So you're so just where, whereabouts are you exploring? Can you point on the on the map yes. where you are exploring? Can you see my cursor? Yes, I can. Yes. Yeah, and so that red dot that you're under the cursor is is that a, that's an intrusion? Is it? Uh, yes, it is. Yeah. And how much work has been done in this area? Most I mean, of the work do... in this location has been focused on one particular intrusion, which is the Skergard intrusion. Uh, that's been very well known uh, over the years. Uh, and activities have focused on that. But when we first uh, went across there, we, uh, or we were actually working on that particular project. But we did a 150-kilometer radius around it, which is our uh, area of interest for new exploration, new discoveries. And that's when we came across uh, what we see at Ryberg. Um, <clears throat> when you talk about the kind of nickel sulfides that you found, is, is that from your work or from kind of, did it take you in there from pre-existing work or was it stuff that you found? It was things that previous explorers had been in that location. So if we look at, say, our Mickey prospect, that was something that's identified because it is more or less juxtaposed to that scare guard intrusion. Uh, so the, the, uh, the magmatic sulfides that we see at surface there were, were mentioned before. But no, no additional work had occurred other than the observation, the geological sampling that occurred there. Uh, so that was the, the initial license we took was the, uh, was the contained that Mickey Dyke, which extends to about 50 kilometers. And we see mineralization the entire way. But we then broadened and we took out the entire area of interest, which is this four and a half thousand square kilometer project area that we have now. And really the way that we, the best way we can explain that is the, it's the Goldilocks zone. So if you go further up to the north, you then start to see the uh, the flood basalts, the plateau basalts from a large igneous, uh, you know, the amount of magmatism, volcanism. But when you get to the Ryberg area, most of those basalts have been eroded. So what you started to see is the, the root system to these plateau basalts. Uh, you also see that underneath the basalts, uh, there's a sedimentary basin there as well, a uh, large so source of sulfur. And then underneath that, you then get to the basement gneiss, which is significantly older, 3.5 billion year old uh, basement gneiss there. So these intrusions, most of them are in place between the basement gneiss and the overlying sediments. Um, and so that's where we're starting to see that's where Skergard is in place. If we look in our license area, we have a, a, a recently discovered laid intrusion there in Cascata, exactly the same setting. Uh, we then look further across and in this year's magnetics, we then start to see uh, another one, Kitiparanek. That's another, what appears to be a laid intrusion in place there as well. So really I, that's the key, is that interface. So that interface, so I'm, I'm just getting my head around this. I'm, I'm, I'm new to this. You've got the, the, the crystalline basement gneiss, which yes. was probably not crystalline, or it was possibly in the kind of the brittle ductile phase, you know, with, with where it was buried. And then, then you've got the sediment package above, mm -hmm. and you're saying that either chemical or competency contrast or pressure change or whatever it is, but that seems to be the preferred emplacement zone for these, um, 
these these batholiths or um, lead lead intrusion complexes. And when you talk about a dike, when you talk about the Mickey Dike, is that do I think kind of um, Great Dike of Zimbabwe um, as a kind of a long uh, uh, is is it a definitely a dike rather than a sill? I mean, what's what's the kind of the orientation and you know what, what what's the what are you looking for? Is it a sub-vertical feature that you're focusing on? Uh, yeah, um, the, the Great Dike of Zimbabwe is a good analogy, uh, actually. Um, so these dikes um, are large. Um, they go on for, for tens of kilometres in strike length. And yeah, they are sub-vertical, up to 800 metres uh, wide. They have igneous layering in them. Um, and along the margins... Um, rounded globules of uh, copper palladium gold rich sulfides and what your your target is um is it interstitial nickel in a preferred layer or nickel cobalt you know that pge nickel um base metal suite in a preferred kind of horizon is that what you were looking for um yeah so in in the dikes it's not necessarily a a, a, a stratiform reef like deposit that, that we would be exploring for there it is uh, more massive sulfide accumulation so dikes and sills that have these rounded globules of sulfide um, are often quite characteristic of being proximal to to more massive sulfide deposits um, so places like Norilsk um, you will find sills with rounded globules which are effectively during that magmatic emplacement have been whipped up from a large pool of sulfide. And effect, essentially that is the target uh, with the Mickey Dyke uh, system. So, uh, within, the broader, within the broader dike system, you're looking for some kind of feeder zone, which is tapping a sulfide rich um, cumulate or, or concentration at depth. Yeah, which yeah. Is- some, something within that system where, where there, there is a, a trap uh, structure where those sulfides uh, will have accumulated. So we've got evidence of them um, along the margins, trapped in the margins of the dike, but the potential is that those droplets could have accumulated somewhere into a massive sort of uh, chonolith or conduit-style uh, massive sulfide accumulation. Okay, so I'm getting my head around the target. Now, um, and, you, and you said, um, Thomas, you said that you'd taken out a 4,000 or larger square kilometre area, mm-hmm. um, and that was based on... What you called the Goldilocks zone, which was the erosional level, but kind of the stratigraphic kind of at between the, the sediments and the and the gneiss. So you've got the right features. You've you you had the um, the presence of the sulfides, and I, I see in your news releases that you refer refer a lot to geophysics. Is this um, state flown geophysics done by the um, Danish Geological Survey, or is this a geophysical survey that you have commissioned over your uh, license area? The area is completely virgin, so we actually had no geophysics at all. Uh, we, everything that's there is something that's been acquired by the company. So we did uh, a couple of years ago, we did very limited uh, electromagnetics over the, the Mickey Dyke. Uh, we did one line of IP up at Sortie Cap. 
But last year, we did the first regional geophysical survey, which is the magnetics and radiometrics. And it is well overdue. And uh, it really has now, uh, I've used in the past, it's sort of cracked the nut on this location rather than flying around. And, you know, you can make wonderful visual observations. But now with this geophysics, we can start to see really the broad structures that are feeding these intrusions coming up, the broader geology, the features that stand out. Uh, so really, uh, it's... Uh, it's a treasure trove, and I guess that's why we've talked so much about geophysics recently, because it, it is so significant to have it. And um, I notice, uh, um, you know, the, the 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 drilling that you you did last year, it didn't. It, it, it was, you know, kind of a, a play opener, but it didn't kind of give you the results, perhaps that you might have dreamt of. Um, and you talk about intersecting pyrotite in, I think, was it in the granite? Um, granitic intrusions, or was it in the night? I, um, but anyway, in the night, yeah. In the, in the night. So it was pyrotite in the night rather than the um, sulfides in the ultramafix, which were, which were your conductors. So were you drilling on EM uh, anomalies and you only got the gravity, sort of the, the mag data later? Is it, is it, is it? That's right. That's right, Marlon. So we went out and we drilled the, the EM anomalies. Uh, this, this is over the, the Mickey prospect. We were looking for the magmatic sulfides. Uh, the interpretation that came back, and uh, there, was, there was nothing wrong with the interpretation, it was correct. It said there was something highly conductive there. And to explain the conductivity, it was either come down to you know, the presence of pyrotite, perhaps mixed with another type of sulfide, uh, or graphite. And uh, the presence of graphite was most likely, it was unlikely for this location. So these were deemed to be priority targets, and they were uh, offset from the, the, the dike where we see the mineralization. But they were at a depth where it was not you couldn't visualize it at surface. So we're just drilling purely geophysical targets. Uh, in my wildest dreams, I, I really wouldn't have expected that we'd go and drill down. We then hit sulfides, but they're completely unrelated to the mineralization we see at surface in the dike. Uh, so look, that that is disappointing. Uh, but at the same time, we we have learned. We move on. The good news is that the uh, the prospect is still very much alive. In fact, uh, enhanced. We we now know. Okay, so the the, the highest order EM uh, anomalies that we went and drilled, they represent by pyrotype. They're not associated. Uh, we now start to look at. Okay, what are the second order anomalies that are there in the data? Um, so we often look at those that interpretation is happening at the moment and then on top of that we then have the the magnetic data and this this has been really pleasantly surprising what we've seen is that in the the dike itself we get these magnetic anomalies and these are associated with uh, where we've traversed before we've definitely walked over this location we've taken samples as David mentioned, this is where we start to see grade of um, copper, nickel, cobalt, uh, palladium at surface in sulfides. But it's a very geologically complex area. It's not just, you know, uh, very monotonous gabbro. There we see that something's been brought up by the dike. And it's these, um, these chunks of ultramafic rock, these xenoliths. And with those, you see magmatic sulfides there as well. So we have now uh, multiple data sets supporting that this location is very much of interest. Um, and uh, you know, we, we move on from what we drilled last year. Benefit of hindsight is a wonderful thing, but I think this year we have a much better uh, sort of proxy, a targeting proxy there and uh, to be able to, uh, to hit the mineralization of interest. 
Well, give me some, give me some ultramafic rock names. Are they Lerzolites and Halsburgsites and Pyroxenites and all those good things? A bit of Serpentinite <laughs> in there as well, for sure. <laughs> good. Um, do you do you have a map of the the, the magnetics um, that you could just kind of? Yes, certainly. I'll, I'll share that with everybody. Um, so. Okay, so this is the uh, the magnetic map here. And what I've done is I've highlighted all the, the prospects of interest. So we can see Mickey there in the southwest corner. Uh, the, the dark blue that's in the linear northeast trending, that, that is the Mickey dike. Uh, there is another one to the north of it, which you may be able to make out between Mickey and Sorty Caps. So that's another one that's being evaluated. Hang on, uh, sorry. So the Mickey dike, that, that dark blue, that's a low. That's a, is that a mag low? Yeah, it's reversely polarized, that one. So negatively polarized. So we see that um, at the time it's in place, it, uh, yeah, negative. Just, oh, in terms of um, polarity, as in kind of the, 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 the magnetic um, orientation on, of, the, of the Earth. <laughs> Fascinating. It, it so, is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay, cool. Um, so this isn't this isn't a total magnetism. It's it's a it's an actual or in, um, well it is a total magnetic intensity, but it's negative polarity. Anyway, anyway I, I, we can talk about that offline, perhaps. Um, sorry. So Mickey, there's the the, the strong linear stru feature. Yes. Sorry. Next one you were about to mention. Yeah. So just to the north of Mickey, we haven't got it highlighted, but perhaps if you can see my cursor here. Uh, there's, there's another large dike that's in place that we've uh, we've looked at. We see mineralization at surface on that one as well. Uh, so that's a, a, another one that uh, is being evaluated and then leading up to sorty cap. But really, this gives an overview of, well, firstly, the magnetic data, uh, the features that we can pull out of it. And and actually, I might just, uh, if, if you allow me, I might just skip to the next slide because this is uh, this really is quite important. Uh, so what we're looking at here is the magnetic data, but the, the geophysicist, and uh, forgive me, I'm not a geophysicist, but uh, uh, what uh, the, 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 uh, the expert did with the interpretation is that they, using the software, they artificially um, uh, manipulated it so that the helicopter, instead of it flying at 20, 25 meters altitude, it's as though you're looking at uh, the, the ground from one kilometer altitude. So you really only start to see larger, broader features. And the ones that have been really picked up are these major structures, which I've got. So the gray dashed lines. This one here has been known about. Uh, that one's been referenced before in historical literature. The ones to the south here, not, not so much. But these are significant because these are very deep faults. Um, so they go down for significant depths and they have a lot of movement to them as well. So if we look at the northern one, the vertical offset is one kilometer. The lateral offset is three to four kilometers. Uh, we see that where there are major intrusions in our license package, that they are associated with these deep seated structures as well. Um, so these are, these are the major conduits, plumbing systems. Um, and then the, the other thing is, is that it, we know that there's a series of um, grabens in this area, well, half grabens, where we see these offset faults, they tilt, we see sedimentary build, uh, basin profiles build up. Um, so, but there is thought that perhaps this particular one to the north and the one to the south are the bounds of a large graben in this area. So, and that's 38 kilometers wide. Uh, and something that the geophysicist has uh, picked up on. So uh, structurally, we're seeing it as uh, quite a complex 
area, but this is got, helping us to target where these big structures. How, a couple of a simple practical question. How do you move around this area? I mean, it's a huge area. It's I can see it in the picture behind uh, David that it's a it's a uh, rugged area. Um, is it all helicopter born or do you walk? Uh, we walk a lot of it. So what we typically do is that uh, we would be dropped off in a certain location and then maybe picked up, say, five days later. Um, so we're quite happy to stay in the field. Um, so uh, the conditions in summertime are you know, typically very good. Uh, we are looking at ways to reduce reliability on, on helicopters. Helicopter. So now that's that's another plus of where we're at now is that we had so last year we imported the drill rigs, we imported the fuel. So we have um, that there. We then have dedicated prospects to work on. Uh, so we don't have to do this uh, reconnaissance movements with helicopters. Uh, we can now set up fly camps in these locations and have the people stay there until the work is conducted. Uh, so really the, the amount of helicopter time now is going to be reduced significantly. And also the use of vehicles as well. And one of the rigs we have is a tracked rig. So all these things combined means it should be cheaper. And um, then the next question really is, this all um, is, is reconnaissance, reconnaissance work and advancing it. How do you go from here to um, really focusing on the targets? And what are the next steps to go from that pre-discovery towards that uh, discovery phase? You know, what's going to drive the the market interest let's call it yeah i think that's with it's the data that we now have uh, we are able to to rank and prioritize our targets undoubtedly so we can say okay some of the targets have got uh, you know three layers of different types of data there uh, that, that all point to the same thing that there's something of interest there other ones which are new discoveries we, we don't have that so the way that we see it is that leading up to the field season now we are extracting everything that we can out of our existing data set. We're increasing the size of our team technically as well uh, in order to do that. Uh, and then when we go to the field, we have the drill rigs there. It would then be going and drilling these ones at the best chance of success. In the meantime, with the new ones, which have only just been identified, we send people out there and that would be um, sampling, mapping, handheld XRF, uh, and really build up the picture as much as possible so that uh, the intention still would be to drill those uh, in the field season, uh, but uh, to be able to you know, get a better handle on exactly where would be the sweet spot in those to go and do it. The other thing too is, is that with it, we wouldn't be, uh, you have to know when to, to call it quits as well. I think that's important. Uh, so we go out there and, uh, you know, if we drill the priority drill holes in the prospect and they come back with you know, nothing of interest, then I, I think it'd be fair to say that we wouldn't then, you know, keep on <laughs> flogging a dead horse, that you would then move on to the next one, logical dictate. Um, so it's not being driven by market conditions or anything like that. We're not chasing a metal, which is the flavor of the month. It's really what we have is what we have and they all do um, very much uh, uh, deserve to be uh, assessed and we have the ability to do so um, just, just purely kind of out of curiosity in terms of the drill rigs um are they, did you buy the rigs or are they on um you know how, how does it work in terms of the rental or the hire or the um 
just because uh, I mean, what did you, how many meters did you drill last year, and how many meters have you committed to this year? You know, in terms of the commercial arrangements and the contracts and those rigs. Sure. So, so we drilled uh, roughly three and a half thousand meters last year. Uh, it was a tricky year last year. I'll be honest with you, uh, with the COVID restrictions and uh, the, the Greenland border uh, effectively shutting down whilst we're out there. It it did make it tricky, uh, a long season. Mm. Um, but uh, this year, it appears that we won't have those uh, those obstacles. Uh, but with the drill rigs, they they are not ours. Uh, they are a contractor out of Canada. Uh, they, uh, they we we negotiated and agreed upon paying a, a rent to keep the rigs there uh, during the off season, and then when it comes out to drilling this year, uh, we'd be looking at achieving a, a minimum of five thousand meters and uh, hopefully substantially uh, beyond that. Uh, I'm actually in Denmark right now, so I'm in Copenhagen. Uh, we're, we're having discussions uh, not only with logistics, uh, but also with um, the the, uh, the geological survey here and others to really see if, if the abilities to uh, you know get more hands on deck, uh, sharing of logistics and so on. But uh, the feel is that. We've got a, a very strong feel that we can commence in May this year. Uh, we didn't start until July uh, last year. Uh, once again, mostly due to COVID this year, May uh, is uh, very much achievable. Uh, I've actually worked in this part of the world, uh, in Greenland, uh, on the East Coast in, in April before. It's actually very stable and very achievable, so it's not flying into the unknown. Uh, and we can operate through until September sometime, end of September. Uh, so... We have every opportunity this year to uh, to to assess all prospects. What has has it, it is is climate change uh, increasing the, the the availability of rock that you can see? I mean, have you got kind of um, slow, snow melt and uh, glacial retreat, which is uncovering uh, fresh surfaces? You know, can you see that? Yeah, it's uh, it's it's very evident. Uh, it's it's uh, to the point where it's uh, you know it's uh, it causes a lot of. Uh, Sort of you know amazing change. I've been I've worked in this location since two thousand and eight. Uh, the, the the change has been so drastic; uh, it's almost unrecognizable in some facets. And that's not just purely just with the ice, but also with the the flora and fauna. So uh, it, it is significant; it is very real. Uh, but at the same time, the the ice retreat is uh, revealing the the geology beneath it. It's quite a privilege to be amongst the first people to ever step foot on this ground, and. Uh, and really, this is Cascata last year as a prime example that that location previous years was we never went there because it wasn't possible. It was glaciated. Uh, it's since then, uh, most of the glaciers retreated and then we start to see sulfides lying there at the surface. And, and, and this is the uh, this is the um, the opportunity in Greenland. Not many places in the planet you can do that. I know there's part of me that feels a little bit kind of sick of the thought. But um, yeah, I, I think with all of us, we're only human for thinking that way. Most of yeah. Yeah. Um, can you can we just talk about the 5000 meters that you've got kind of lined up? You know, what are your what are your targets for this program? You may not have all 5000 meters delineated, but you've probably got an idea of which of the targets are going to be testing all of them. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, uh, but uh, it's uh, look, we've we've got the opportunity to do so, so we might as well. But uh, of course, we then might get sidetracked if we get uh, you know some success there. Then uh, then that will most likely take uh, uh, the, the rigs. But uh, really, with it uh, at the Mickey Prospect, that one has to be drilled properly. Uh, so last year we didn't. This year we must. Uh, so that one will be assessed uh, up at Sorty Cap. Hang on, hang on. So, so just at Mickey. Um, you're targeting 
shallow holes into um, potential nickel sulfide uh, ultramafix. Is, 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 you know, can you just kind of describe the target? Yeah. You know, are they long holes? Are, they, is, are you doing a series of fences, or is it one deep hole? Um, just a bit more color on on what you're drilling at. Mickey. Yeah, sure. So, so the Mickey prospect is, is it's magmatic sulfides, copper sulfides, and, and nickel sulfides. There's two different generations of sulfides there, both yeah. associated with precious metals. Uh, so we would be looking at the, the we know that uh, we're getting grade at surface. We, we can see the sulfides at surface. Uh, so uh, I would not be uh, thinking that they're going to be terribly deep holes uh, by that, probably limited to you know, 150, 200 meters, something like that. Uh, and with the magnetic targets that we've got, coupled with the surface geochem, I, I think that they'll be very well targeted. So we'd probably be looking at you know, less than half a dozen holes in, the, in that location. Of course, that would change should they be successful. But um, essentially, you've got surface data, you've got a mag associated with it, a mag anomaly, and you're just, um, you've, got, you've got good ground truthing on it, and you're popping a few holes straight underneath there. Yes. And then also with the electromagnetic data as well. Now that we know that the, the highest order anomaly is, uh, is pyrotite, the second order anomaly there may well correlate with uh, the sulfides that we see in that area. That work is ongoing. Um, the other one is uh, the sortie cap prospect. So further to the north, uh, that's an ultramafic, once again, near surface. Uh, with that one, we, uh, we didn't get uh, all grade intercepts, uh, but what we did get was that over the meter intervals that we sampled, wherever there was sulfides present, so you could visually see that the pyrotite there, uh, pentlandite is uh, you know, very similar to, to pyrotite in appearance, but wherever those, those sulfides present, we got a kick in the geochemistry for nickel, so up to about 0.3%. But that was from very thin veins that are hidden within a one meter interval. So what uh, the positive takeaway from that is that hey, there's sulfides there which are carrying some grade. Uh, so really with the, the data that we now have, it's fine tuning that and going in and drilling to see if we can find that larger pool of sulfide uh, that may be present. Uh, so that once again, not terribly deep drilling, and uh, that area definitely warrants uh, some some drilling there. And what are you what are you using as your vectors to uh, move out from where you drill last? You know, are you what what data is going to drive your decision to either go long strike or kind of go go at depth? Or is it alteration? Is it structure? Is it geophysics? Is it all of the above. It's all of the above, to be honest. Uh, it's uh, we, We've got, uh, with the orientations that we've taken down, whole structural measurements down the hole, that helps to guide us uh, from, the, from the drilling that we did last year. Uh, we've then got, uh, with this magnetic data, we can see that uh, nearby you've got one of these major crustal scale features. Uh, we know that uh, the mineralization uh, at sortie cap is structurally controlled. Uh, you know, we talked about possibility of on echelon faults there. Uh, we, we can pick up that there is a major structure in the IP survey there as well. Uh, really only one hole tested that last year. And in that we were getting these small veins of mineralization. So, you know, all these combined uh, will give us uh, a fairly robust uh, couple of drill holes that will adequately assess that prospect. Um, we then with, uh, let's say if we jump further afield now, if we go to Cascade, Carter. So with that one, we then, uh, we were drilling through a volcano sedimentary sequence there. Um, and then at the base of that, we then hit a, a layered intrusion, which is one of these ones that uh, David was talking about. Uh, and these are very prospective for, for reef style mineralization, mostly with precious metals. So PGEs plus minus gold. 
Um, but what we're doing right now, we have that material here in Europe. Uh, well, it's back where I live in Portugal, walking through it and uh, getting further analysis done. So things like copper palladium ratios to see uh, if this has the potential to host reef style mineralization. So that's being assessed. Um, so you're doing essentially kind of a fertility study on it. Yeah. Yeah, basically, exactly. And uh, and with that one, I think that, uh, that depending on the outcome of that work, which we'll know fairly soon, but at the same time, we, we only drilled through uh, a couple of hundred meters of that intrusion in the upper sequence of it. So it may well warrant uh, a couple of holes going a bit deeper into that to see, truly test to see if, uh, if the potential for that reef style mineralization is there. Uh, it's worth noting that with all other intrusions, like this in the east coast of Greenland, uh, they all contain mineralized reefs. They're, they're, they're all uh, there. They're, they do differ, but uh, each does have one. Uh, so Skagard is the best known example, but then there are others further up the coast, which are really just inaccessible, which is why we don't hear about them. Um, so then, I mean, Pyramid is, is a hugely exciting prospect. I mean, the, the giant bullseye that is Pyramid uh, very interesting, too, that it's located between two major structures. It's, it's in the middle there uh, with the geophysics. It's, it stands out at uh, you know, great depth. So it appears to be a single intrusion. When it's reached uh, the surface, it's bifurcated. You've then got these two intrusions at surface. It's something I haven't traversed by foot, but certainly have flown past it. We know that the, the host geology there is sediments. Um, we, uh, then the intrusions where they've come through, it, it's an extremely rusty area. There's a lot of oxidation going on. So you know, it could be iron oxides, could be sulfides. Uh, but that is not too far away from sorty cap. Um, good chance that, uh, I mean, really, we need to go and assess that as quickly as possible to get boots on the ground. But it could be anything from an ultramafic intrusion to a to a kimberlite pipe to uh, uh, <laughs> we just need to have a look at it. So you, when you say that you haven't traversed it yet, it means uh, and you want to get boots on the ground. It, it literally hasn't been mapped yet. Yeah, exactly right. So it's uh, it hasn't by anybody in history. So um, so I, I think it's definitely worthy of assessment and that one's you know that one's straightforward to get a drill rig there as well but that's one of the prospects that first we'll go there get the boots on the ground build up our information and then should it all stack up we can then very much go and drill that one this year uh gee and <laughs> it's such a large area that we've got the other ones too we've got to uh, say was quest and intrusion there which is fascinating i mean I, I love this one to be honest it's uh it's right by the coast it's very easy to access uh it, it's uh in the geophysics and the satellite data definitely stands out as a feature nobody in history has ever been to this location however around the coastline with previous work that had been done uh, uh there had been uh, sediment sampling and so on and there they were getting very high chrome uh nickel and copper uh, anomalies and this is all around the location of the intrusion without having actually gone in there before and as soon as the sampling then goes further afield away from this uh, this likely intrusion the chrome nickel copper values drop right off so it gives a lot of credibility that that could be certainly something of interest and very easy to access. Pyramid and Quest are kind of high priority mapping and sampling targets, but you're going to be drilling Mickey, Shorter Cap and Cascata. Uh, yeah, I mean, those ones just simply because we have more data, but I would certainly say that we'll probably be drilling the other ones as well, unless something <laughs> really tells us that we shouldn't. And then there's Kitaparane, yes. so, and there's another one. But it'd be, it would be going some to be drilling Pyramid and um, Quest this year, wouldn't it? No, quite achievable. Achievable. Okay.
Yeah, very much so. I mean, the area, I mean, it's, it's a large license area, but to be able to move these fly rigs from one location to the other, distant by, say, 20 kilometers or something like that, infinitely achievable. We would be keeping the drill rigs together. And then once we finish with a certain prospect, we would then move them across with the fly camp to the next one. And that's a heli move. That's a heli move. Yes. Okay. I'm much better informed now about what your plans are. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, it's a lot to take in. It really is. I mean, it's such a large area. Yeah. We're the first people ever to be there. Uh, well, you know, with the drill rig and with the geophysics. And uh, we have such an abundance of targets. And, and to be honest, uh, it, 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 it is a lot for a, a small exploration company. But we're well up for the task. As I said, we're, we're gearing up for it. Personnel, we've got the logistics sorted. And I just think it's an incredibly exciting year, this one. I mean, it, yeah. Yeah. Can't wait. Absolutely. Well, I look forward to uh, uh, seeing the photographs from Greenland and uh, um, hopefully the, the results will be better than the photographs, if you know what I mean. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> Good. Uh, thank you both for your time. Um, is there anything else that you feel is that you haven't communicated that you'd like to, you know, what are we, what are we um, not covered that you think is really important? Or maybe we've kind of, we, we, we've hit the main, the main things. Uh, for me, I think we've hit the main things. Um, David? Yeah, I don't know whether you just want to say anything about Mestas Vig as well. So, uh, yeah. The, the other prospects that you have, the other license. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Uh, when, so, it, when will you be working on Mestas Vig? This year. This year as well? Yeah. Um, and, and is that run from the same camp or is it, are you going to have a separate... Do you have a separate outpost for that? Yeah, we're, we're very much looking at getting that one moving this year. So we've got a, a separate outpost. So distance, uh, you know, they're, they're separated by, what, what is it, 700 kilometers. Uh, it's further to the north. Uh, but there, there's existing camp infrastructure. We've got the fuel on site. And we've also identified there's a drill rig uh, nearby as well that uh, it looks like we can use. So uh, so that one there. And the targets we have uh, is uh, that that project is... Uh, primarily for its uh, zinc. So it was uh, the historic mine was carrying roughly 10% zinc, 10% lead. Uh, but we've got 13 kilometers of strike length that hasn't been drill tested. It's very obvious to look at. Mineralization goes from surface down to depth there. And then also looking at uh, strata hosted mineralization as well. So where these geological structures these faults carrying fluids have gone up and reached the upper Permian section, which is where you get uh, quite a lot of carbon-rich layers. Then you can see an outcrop that these contain sulfides. You're seeing galena, you're seeing sphalerite, you're seeing copper sulfides, chalcopyrite and barite as well. Never been drill tested. And, uh, and these cover an area of roughly gee, 250 square kilometers. Uh, so the potential there is huge. Uh, so there is a lot of work to be done at Mestas Vig as well. In terms of dollars, where are you going to, um, or percent, how much of your budget goes to Mestas Vig and how much goes to Rayburg? Yeah, we're looking with Mestas Vig. We're just waiting for the confirmation on the rig to see if that's available. And then we put it all together in the budget. But uh, I think that probably that uh, Mestas Vig is, is, uh, is uh, less helicopter reliant, that project. Uh, so so the, the budget for Mestas Vig is less. Uh, and also the existing camp infrastructure and being able to use vehicles to get around so uh so the, the budget would be uh, greater for ryberg uh and then also ryberg just the, the, the number of different prospects to look at whereas at uh, mesters week they're, they're more focused great thank you very much i, I have to say I, I like the sound of um mesters quite a lot that's a great project it really is it really is yeah i mean just immediately just uh, having that almost that kind of historic 
anchor point you know that that the the, the, the presence of an existing uh, attempt I, I don't know how economic it was but kind of a, some kind of economic activity around it that, it's the only historic mine on the east coast of greenland and it operated in the 50s and 60s and it operated for 11 months a year so i think now with our technological advances we could probably get it 12 months here but uh, it was an underground operation uh with some surface pits uh the infrastructure is still there and um and really it's uh, it's baffling that it's been neglected and uh we are very fortunate to be able to pick that one up yeah i think it's um that to me that sounds um pretty encouraging anyway good um thank you very much both of you for your time and uh, good luck with the the work ahead okay thank you very much man thanks for the opportunity Matt. Yeah, thank you, Melanie.